Today we're talking about Mark chapter 11, so let's go to the Word and read it together. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell him, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside of the street, tied at a doorway, and they untied it. Some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches as they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, Well, if we say from heaven, he will ask, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, well, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Here we have a remarkable passage that is outlining Jesus last week on earth as a human coming in the form of a human empowered by the Holy Spirit before his execution. Here we see the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on that fateful day that we have come to celebrate as Christians as Palm Sunday. It's very telling here what the people thought that Jesus was. If you've read the previous chapters, especially 10, you can see the lead up to this. 
Jesus' own disciples, many of his followers, even the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem all thought that he was a man, only human, who was coming to be the next so-called king of the Jews. They thought he was going to start a rebellion, rise up against their Roman overlords, throw out the Romans from ruling Judea, and install Jesus as an earthly king in the model of King David. They all thought this. And it's very telling when Jesus rides into town, he tells his disciples to go get a cult. Folks, this is a direct connection to the Old Testament when those kings would, in a victory, ride in on a donkey, and not a horse, a donkey, and essentially be kind of the victor, and they would get the spoils of victory for whatever battle they had just won. When the people uh, praise Jesus on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they are treating him like an earthly king here. They think he's an earthly king. Now, he is our spiritual king, and it's important to remember that. He is our spiritual king, so they're not wrong, but they're wrong in their motivations and assumptions. They say, Hosanna, which is a way of saying, save us or praise the Lord for saving us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. There you go. That is direct reference to their belief that Jesus is just this earthly king who's going to be installed into power. Now, quick step back into what's happening. This is during the week of Passover. Passover was a very holy holiday that had fallen out of favor during the time of the judges, uh, but was reinstituted uh, with David and Solomon. This celebrates the exodus of the Jewish people from Egypt back probably in the 15th century BC and led by Moses. The Passover celebrates that time when the plagues of Egypt were ravaging that country and the Pharaoh of Egypt finally relented and let the Jewish uh, Hebrew people go. But he did that only after a night of the most intense plague and suffering that happened in all of Egypt, and that was the angel of death who killed the firstborn of all human and animal families. In order to be saved, the Hebrews of the time uh, went through a ritual ceremony of making unleavened bread, of um, putting all of their possessions together and getting ready to leave, and then they took the blood of a lamb and uh, sacrificed that lamb and then smeared that blood over the doorpost of their house, indicating to the angel of death, that is God's angel of death or his servant, to pass over that house because those people were uh, pious Hebrews who truly believed that God was going to save them. This happens in the first full moon of spring, and that's when we have Passover, and that's why uh, Easter happens uh, seemingly on a, on a different specific day every year, but in the same general time. Both happen during the first full moon of spring. Now, the Passover itself during the first century was a very popular holiday. It was, uh, it was worshipped by most uh, Orthodox and pious Jews. And if possible, those Jews would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Okay, so think of it, uh, you know, as, as the most important religious holiday of the year. Jerusalem, which would, might be maybe one to 200,000 people during this era, which was still a huge city, one of the biggest on earth, would swell with almost a million people as they flooded into Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover in early spring. So 
the city is a tinderbox, ready to explode. The Romans know it, the Jewish leaders know it, and the Jewish peasants know it. They think that Jesus has now come to crown himself king and start a revolution, which had happened numerous times in uh, Israel's past, and none of the leaders wanted a repeat of that. But they're they're desperately afraid of Jesus because the crowd loves him, and they're afraid they had kind of have it both ways. If they they grab Jesus and and throw him into jail or kill him, they could have a riot on their hands. But if they don't grab him and throw him into jail or kill him, they could also have a riot on their hands for a different reason because they think Jesus is going to rile up the crowd to start some kind of revolution. So it is definitely a tinderbox ready to explode. So Jesus leaves. He, he comes into town on that uh, fateful day that we call Palm Sunday, and then he leaves and goes home for the night. He leaves the town and, and spends the night outside of town. He comes back the next day. I think this is the event of clearing the temple that was the wheel set in motion for his execution. I think by Jesus coming into town and the first thing he does is he clears the temple, that was it. I think that signed his death sentence because he physically showed that he was willing to do whatever it took to clean up God's house. He was angry. He overturned tables. He shouted at people. The other Gospels record that he made whips out of cords and he whipped at people and animals to clear them from the temple. And he wouldn't allow the money changers to come back. Let's just take a quick step back and talk about what that meant. The temple complex, a very holy and revered site for the Jews, had become a corrupt center uh, for Jewish money making at this period. The Money makers and the businessmen were in league with the Sadducees and the Jewish religious leaders of the time so that they could profit from the Passover. Remember I told you that uh, almost a million peasants and, and Jewish pious people would flood into Jerusalem for the Passover? Well, as part of their ritual, they would, they would offer sacrifices at the temple for their sins. Okay. But in order to offer sacrifice, they needed something to sacrifice. Many of these people would come to town uh, and not be able to bring animals with them to sacrifice because it required an animal sacrifice with blood. So uh, the leadership of Jerusalem uh, allowed these uh, businessmen, these tax collectors, and these, and these money changers to all come to the Jewish temple courts themselves and basically sell animals for sacrifice and making a great profit uh, to all of these pious uh, people who were coming uh, to town for the Passover. And it was a huge money-making scheme. Jesus is furious about this because they have completely corrupted the whole point of what the Jewish Passover and the sacrifice uh, period meant. They turned it into a money-making operation and Jesus is furious. So he is trying to make the case here that uh, the leadership has completely ruined the sense of what the Passover truly means. And he drives them all out of the temple. This had to have infuriated them. In fact, the text, I think, rightly says they wanted to kill him. I guarantee you, if there were leaders on the fence before this, they weren't on the fence after this. They wanted Jesus dead. They didn't just want him imprisoned. They didn't want him pushed aside. They wanted him dead and they were going to do whatever it took to kill him. Now it's just a waiting game. The clock is ticking. 
for the, the Jewish leadership to find the right moment to get him without causing a, a riot to erupt. Now, this passage about the money changers is immediately followed with a parable and a miracle, actually, that Jesus performs to connect them. Remember, every time Jesus has a teaching of a spiritual concept in the New Testament, he almost always follows that up with some kind, or precedes that, with some kind of miraculous action to draw the parallel between the two. Jesus comes into the temple and says, your hearts are hard. You have wrecked what God set out. You have completely perverted the meaning of what the Passover means. And you have become dirty and corrupt and, and sinners by doing that. Your hearts are hard and you are not producing any real fruit, meaning spiritual fruit of goodness and righteousness and holiness. Immediately, this concept of the fig tree then becomes apparent. Figs uh, uh, are a, a warm uh, climate plant. They tend to start to leaf out and then fruit in uh, late spring or early summer, so maybe like June uh, time frame. Passover happens in early spring, so this would be March, April. So a fig tree has no business really leafing out and fruiting during this period. It's still not warm enough uh, and the conditions aren't right. But as they see here on the way to Jerusalem, they see this fig tree that's trying to look like it's going to produce fruit, right? You can see the parallel here. Here's a tree that's not supposed to be fruiting, but now it looks like it's about to fruit and it's got all of its leaves coming out. Well, uh, if the fig were a normal healthy fig, it should have been producing its fruit at the same time. Well, what does Jesus find? It's not producing any fruit. This is a fig tree that is all show and no substance. That is exactly the parallel with the Jewish leadership of the period. He's saying they all look like they're righteous and they all look like they're holy and they're putting on this great show for Passover and they are empty. They're completely empty. They're completely devoid of holy and righteous fruit. And so he curses that tree. By physically cursing that tree and miraculously causing it to wither, he is now making a spiritual connection to what is about to happen with the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem in the first century. He's saying they are going to wither because they have not acted righteously. They have refused to accept me as their spiritual Messiah. They have allowed their hearts to become hardened and twisted uh, by their unrighteous and sinful nature. We know that Jerusalem in just a few decades will be completely destroyed. And this does happen. It just took a little while. Jesus curses the tree. What he's saying is he's cursing, cursing the Jewish leadership who are going to end up having him murdered. In 70 AD, another civil war erupts between the Jews and the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire has had it. And in 70 AD, the Romans will besiege Jerusalem for many, many months, break through the walls, and destroy it. They will completely destroy the temple and burn it to the ground and take all of the valuables out of it. So it will happen. The next thing that Jesus says here is very interesting because he makes this connection. Remember, if you go back and listen to Mark chapter 10, I made the comment that God wants you to specifically ask for specific things so that you'll know that your faith is solid and true and that God answers them. If you ask for general prayers that, please God, help me, but not be specific, or, but if you don't, you know, that's okay too, which is 
is technically true, but that's not how you pray, then you never really know if God has answered your prayer or not because you've covered all of the bases. If you say, please help me in this general way, but if you don't, that's okay too, well, that's just reality. That's not faith. That's just accepting reality. Of course that's going to happen. Jesus, again, folks, makes the comment here, and I am very specific about this too. Pray specifically, righteously for what you want. And if it is a righteous prayer, and if it is a good prayer, and doesn't go against God's nature, and it glorifies him in the answer, he will give it to you. He just might not give you exactly what you ask for because circumstances, um, you know, uh, permitting, he will give you something better. God will answer your prayer if you're fervent and you believe that he can give it to you. Ask specifically and he will give it to you. And here's the scripture that proves that, folks. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Folks, there is no clearer message. Jesus himself has commanded you to be specific and ask. And here it does not say some things will happen or a few things you ask. It says anything, anything, and anyone who says this, who believes that I can do it, it will happen to them. And whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. Folks, be specific in your prayers, be fervent in your prayers and don't give up but keep a prayer journal. And when God does answer, and he will answer you eventually, he will either give you that exact thing that you asked for, or he will give you something even better. But pray righteously, knowing that it is in God's hands to answer your prayer and not your own. Don't pray the transactional prayer saying, if you do this, then I will do that. There's nothing in this passage that Jesus just said that's transactional. It doesn't say, I will, if you give me the, you help me win the lottery, I will become a better person. That's not biblical. Because that implies that there is something you have to do in order to earn God's favor or that there's some kind of debt that you owe God if he gives it to you. Folks, Jesus answers your prayers out of grace, not out of a debt. You don't owe God anything when he gives you something special. And the biggest thing he's going to give you, if you're a believer, is your salvation, your eternal salvation. You can't owe God anything for that. But what he does expect is that you will fervently believe that he can do it and that you will be righteous in asking for something out of good motivations and a good heart. And he follows that up by saying here that when you pray, don't hold anything against anyone, just forgive them. He's saying you've got to come to God with a clean and pure heart and a loving heart, and he will give it to you. Folks, this is probably the most important part of this entire passage. The last thing that we talk about here is the authority of Jesus. Again, you see here now the uh, Jewish religious leadership trying to catch Jesus publicly so they can have a reason to condemn him. They're trying to catch him so they can turn the crowd against him, but Jesus won't be turned. (laughs) He catches them and he turns it back on them. And they ask, well, what authority are you saying all these things? He goes, well, I'll ask you a question. You know, 
What is John's baptism? Was it from heaven or men? And he knows they're not going to answer because even if they do believe that John's baptism was was righteous, they're not going to admit that. So Jesus caught them again. He's not going to be caught here. And I think that we'll just kind of close by saying here, we will enter into a, uh, the next several chapters of, of Jesus kind of giving his last bits of teaching and discipleship to his followers. And that will culminate um, with his execution on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.